Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Pro Skills Basketball podcast. I am PSB co-founder Logan Kozmalski. Excited to talk with everybody today about a topic that's gained some media exposure in the last couple of weeks. And I'm referring to an article on ESPN entitled, These Kids Are Ticking Time Bombs, The Threat of Youth Basketball, written by Baxter Holmes. Um, to help me discuss this today, I've got a really special guest. I'm going to talk with Alan Tyson, who's the Director of Performance and uh, the President of Architect Sports and Physical Therapy. Alan is or has been a consultant with the Charlotte Knights uh, AAA, basket, or AAA baseball team in Charlotte, uh, a consultant with the Carolina Panthers, written three books on uh, sports training, and has worked with numerous NBA athletes like Steph Curry and Antoine Jameson. Um, Alan, thanks for joining us. Excited to have you. Good to be here, Logan. Thanks for having me. So let's hop right into this. What did you think of the article on ESPN? Well, I mean, it's interesting as a as a you know physical therapist and uh, an athlete trainer uh, and working with athletes through the years. I'm I'm an older guy, so I've been doing this about thirty years. Um, you know, this topic that comes up um, about injuries and our kids playing year round is that too much, et cetera. So certainly, the title I give them credit for the title. So the title about ticking time bombs it certainly makes you read it. Um, but always from the medical standpoint, you always wonder. Uh, you know, are these things that back in the 70s and 80s some of the kids had um, no one knew about because there weren't MRIs and things back then? And then, uh, and also the other thing was kind of piecing through kind of the, the nitty gritty about uh, there was a, you know, a piece in the article about could a kid stand on one leg and, and things like that. Um, it, because we feel that, you know, basketball is one of the better sports to actually play uh, year round. And we actually encourage our, uh, you know, our year-round athletes that, you know, say maybe play baseball or whatever, take the winter and play basketball because it's really uh, great for athletic development. And I think that um, – so I think there are some – I think with kids being bigger and stronger uh, today, I think they're, they're seeing some injuries they probably never saw before. But the question just being, is that because um, – you know, is that because our diagnostics are a lot better? I mean, what I do in the clinic today to diagnose things is totally different than I did even ten years ago. Mm -hmm. So, well, yeah. what was your take? You're, you're, you know, you're a former professional basketball player. What was your take? I, I definitely, you know, I agree with you on the title. I think um, the, the the title was more of a of a shocking, like read this article um, of headline. Uh, I think it, it's it's referring to some really high caliber athletes that right probably do play way too much you know they're in a position of they're getting highly recruited or they're just maybe basketball maybe they're hyper focused on basketball and they're playing every single weekend year round I agree that that is too much um, I don't agree that I, th I think the article paints the concept of specialization in, in, a, in a negative light I, I think if, if you can if you want to specialize in baseball basketball volleyball what, as long as you do it the right way and 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 incorporate some time off and and find a balance I, I don't agree that specialization should be characterized as as a negative thing um so I, I but i do agree that there's a lot of people out there that are leading these kids and pushing them to do things just in, in that that's not right playing too much or a topic that i i'm going to ask you about now is is the idea that 
kids are bigger, stronger, faster now. Um, and the, the focus on sports performance, like development training, like being able to run faster and jump higher are, could possibly are kids doing that in, in the incorrect way. So you, you just mentioned in the article, it talks about a kid with a 38 inch vertical that probably can't stand on one leg. In my mind, that's right. not a problem with being specialized in basketball. That seems to be a problem with like, you're doing it the wrong way. You're not training the, and when I say training, I mean lifting weights, running, or even resting or even stretching. You're not doing that in, in the proper fashion. Would, would you say in that world of, cause you're also, I mean, I mentioned you're a physical therapist, but you're also a certified sports performance specialist. Um, and you train a lot of athletes, not only in rehabilitation, but in becoming a better athlete. Um, so yeah. in your world, would you say that that could be correct? Yeah, I totally agree. I think that always, just, you know, even in the sport, it comes down to fundamentals, right? And so uh, kids do pick up sometimes one sport, and they tend to focus on one sport earlier than, than ever. And so they miss the ability to go out and just play. You know, I, I had, a, had one of the private school uh, coaches tell me one time that the difference between your day's kids and – say 15, 20 years ago, um, was that our environments are so structured, whereas we used to go out on the playgrounds and we would we would just pick teams, right? And so nowadays, kids can't hardly do that themselves because they're used to being told what to do. Um, and so they don't tend to go out and play by themselves. They don't tend to go out and climb a tree or ride a bike or whatever by themselves. And some of that's the times we live in. Uh, some of that's because we're so structured and our days are planned so much. But I, I do agree that it always comes back to the fundamentals, and basketball is unique. So what we see with basketball players is that the simple things, and for the parents listening, if you lie your son or daughter on their stomach, put them on the bed or table or whatever, if they can't very easily take their heel and touch their butt, uh, then their quad or their thigh muscle is entirely too tight. And so if it's too tight, that puts more stress on the uh, kneecap and on the tendon, and so that's where you get tendonitis or a jumper's knee or things like that. And no one ever does it until they start having knee pain, and then they go see a medical person, uh, and they say, oh, your quads are really tight. Well, why would their quads be tight? Because they've been doing nothing but jumping. Um, and so we do see that quite a bit, that the, uh, that the athletes are, are doing that, is that just simple things, learning how to use a foam roll, uh, correctly and for enough time, learning how to stretch your calves. You know, when we had you know, years ago, I had a great conversation with one of the trainers for um, the Wizards at the time, and we talked 30 minutes on the importance of ankle flexibility. Mm -hmm. If their calves are tight, why would their calves be tight? Because they're running and jumping. If their calves are tight, then they can't squat if very well. So if they're playing defense and, and things like that, they can't squat well with, because of their calves. Where's the stress go? Right? It goes to their knees. And that's the things that the article talked about was they saw a lot of these things that kids can't do and uh, simple things that the article didn't bring out that coaches need to know, parents need to know. And um, you can look at the whole line. If you look at a functional movement screen squat or overhead squat, you can just YouTube it. It'll tell you what to do. And if your child can't do that, then you need to be working with someone. Mm -hmm. um, but the simplest test is on your stomach and you take your uh, – heel and touch your butt and it's got to be easy if it's like wow that's a hard stretch or that's i feel that a lot in my thigh they're too tight and so the remedy is hold it there for a minute make sure you're doing it every day 
and uh, that's the first thing we do when they come see us as therapists is uh, we sometimes easy stuff that they probably, you know, as a team or as a parent, you know, just make sure that they can, they can do that. Yeah. So many things just came to my mind listening to you talk about that, Alan. And I think the main one um, that in, in basketball, you know, players, it seems like the sole focus for a lot of people is just improving their jumping ability. And right. so what I think has developed is you see guys that they buy a few Vertimax machines, they run out of warehouse, yeah. and all of a sudden they're, be, they're becoming, they're training kids to just jump higher. And parents demand it. There's a demand for it. You know, when you, I think that somebody in your position, I've seen it working with parents and that are solely, you know, have their child specialize in basketball. They want their kid to jump higher. So it's a tough sell to say, hey, go see somebody like Alan in architect sports and yeah, you're not going to like solely focus on jumping. You're going to work on flexibility. So selling those things seems to be hard in the world of basketball when people just want to jump higher and you have people out there selling these programs that are solely focused on jumping and ignoring the things that all the things that you just mentioned. Um, yeah. Am I correct in assuming that it's a tough sell when it comes to some people that don't want to pay the prices that you might charge or, or, or get sold on like, Hey, come join this jump program with, Maybe somebody that doesn't have the background that you have or the experience that you have. Yeah, it's always an issue because uh, there's a little, you know, there's overlap between uh, strength coaches and the general public and what we do, and then also on the on the medical side, you know, that we do. And I think as a parent, you just really want to have, um, you know, in talking to your coach. And I think that's the hardest part. And you deal with this as a coach is like for the parent and the coach to really have honest conversations. I really like your son. Um, and, and he probably does need to jump uh, a little higher, but he's got these other six or eight things he can improve upon, which is usually strength-related, skill-related, you know, just basketball knowledge-related. Mm-hmm. It's going to help him just as much. Um, but when we see the kids come in, or, or you know, we spend a lot of time, like we just talked about, on their ankles, on their calves, on their hips, mm-hmm. uh, on their spine, and we don't talk about that enough, is that um, – one of the things that help kids jump higher is they need to be stronger. How to get stronger? Where you squat, okay? but if they don't have good core stability, meaning they can't control their pelvis or pelvic alignment, then they end up squatting and their back sore, mm-hmm. and then they don't want to squat anymore. So it's all these things rather than just overloading them, you know, with jumping. When we use a Vertimax, I, I may have them jump uh, 10, 12 times, uh, weight, you know, loaded, unloaded. I may do that two or three times. Period. So that's you know that's 60 jumps per session. That's it, um, mm-hmm. which doesn't take a very long time. So what am I going to do the rest of that hour? Because there is this kind of myth out there that is quality over quantity, right? So if a kid comes into the clinic, and we have to educate parents on this. When they come into the clinic, if the kid walks out with his tongue dragging and his shirt's completely drenched, everyone feels pretty good. Um, if a kid comes out and they're not as sweaty, we have to explain to the parent that yeah. One reason they're not quite as sweaty because we're very specific on technique and quality of movement. I just don't want a lot of bad movement. So what, why do they have bad movement? Well, when they get overly fatigued, right, their jumping is going to be horrible. So if I mm-hmm. give them resistance with the Vertimax, their jumping is going to be even worse, mm-hmm. all right, which creates more stress on the ankles and back, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's, you know, it's always kind of buyer beware a little bit um, in making sure what else are they going to work on besides just straight vertical jumping, uh, you know, both from a, a basketball development standpoint, but then what else, you know, 
we're going to we're going to overload certain areas, and I think that leads to um, uh, lack of recovery, you know, down the road. Yeah, I completely agree, and I, I see see it as well. And I mean, you you hit it on hit the nail on the head with the you know, in order to convince um, parents that you did anything of quality, they they need to see their kids fatigued and worn out and tired and sweaty um which is not or does not translate into a quality workout whether it be about in the basketball court or in the weight room or just working out with 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 somebody of your position so uh, one thing we talked about alan but before we before I hit record on this podcast was the um the idea that people are not getting their injuries seen in, um in, in, in the right like time period. So, for example, you, you mentioned jumper's knee a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I sort of see it as jumper's knees be, become so common that people are more than likely just associating it as like, that is jumper's knee, it's no big deal, it'll go away, so I'm not going to go get it treated. Um, you mentioned this before, so like, what, what are your thoughts on maybe com- injuries or, you know, little nagging injuries that have become so common in basketball that they get overlooked and kids not getting them checked out with somebody of your, you know, quality of care? Well, that, those are great questions. I think, the, I think the key is obviously the most common uh, injury is going to be an ankle sprain, right? Who had sprained their ankle? Um, what we see, though, is that from depending on which studies you want to kind of hang your hat on, but anywhere from 35 up to 75% of ankle sprains go on to be a recurrent ankle sprain, which means you sprain an ankle again. And then uh, up to about 30% of those can end up becoming chronic kind of instability. And so we advise everyone, even if it's a a mild ankle sprain, um, to make sure they're doing stretches, foam roll, balance exercises, whether they look it up online, whether they come in and when they can be evaluated by us, um, it doesn't really matter, but they have to take that seriously uh, because that's, you know, the sport they're going to play. And we see a lot. I end up seeing the ones that, you know, they say, oh, yeah, I sprained my ankle, you know, three times last season or I, I, I sprained it once a year or whatever. And it's usually because um, everyone feels it's going to get better, and it does get better, but it's not 100%. And that's, that's the kind of advice we give our athletes is like, why would you be 100% have an injury and then you go back and you're playing and you're doing okay, but you know that ankle, that knee, that shoulder, whatever, is like not, it's not as good as it used to be, but you settle. So we encourage them, like, don't, you can get back and playing at less than 100% a lot of times, but that doesn't mean you stop doing what you're doing to get your, uh, you know, your appendage back. The second injury is that jumper's knee, and that's 100% coming from, uh, training and doing a lot of jumping and running as your body's growing so uh and again it goes back to when when they're hitting their growth spurts at various ages uh, bone grows faster than the tissue does and so the muscle's tight just because you're growing irregardless of your now if you're doing a jumping sport then it can be doubly tight and so if we tell parents that for example if they're going to have their son or daughter lie on their stomach and, and take their heel to their butt if they're going through a growth phase and at the same time, their quads tight. That would be the time to potentially limit uh, some of their, you know, some of their game or some of their practice. Or it may be, hey, just, you know, for the next week, we're just going to do some ball handling drills and maybe we'll catch and shoot. Not have you go through and work on your ver- vertical because your knees are already a little sore. And so most parents are sometimes hesitant to get things checked out because honestly, and I've got plenty of 
clean orthopedic friends, the easiest answer when someone comes in with knee pain is say, don't do it. Don't jump. Don't play basketball. Take two weeks off, whatever. Well, no kid wants to hear that, right? And so what we counsel them is to go through their uh, practice and say, okay, what bothers you? You know, does it bother you to do layups? No, not really. Does it bother you to go up and grab the rim? Yes. Okay, well, don't grab the rim for a little bit. But that way we keep them in their you know, in their element so they don't have to. Can you do catch and shoot? Yes. Can you do catch and shoot with a step, you know, with one dribble and a step back? I know when I step back, it kind of bothers me. Okay, well, we got to cut that out a little bit. So you can still be working on your game while we're resting that area. But when they go to the doctor, which which in and of itself creates the issue, is that the physician doesn't have as much time in the room to go through this uh, problem solving. And so it's easy to say, um, you know, Here's your brace. Here's your toe pad strap. Here's your ankle brace. Take these. Take this uh, anti-inflammatory and take two weeks off. Well, then what happens? Is they take two weeks off. They're deconditioned. They feel like they're better. They go back and, and do things, and they're really uh, make could be a little tighter because no one took them through a stretching routine. And now they repeat this issue, and then it, that's how it kind of becomes a little more chronic. So if we can get kids to do a little more balance training, eyes open, eyes closed for their ankle and some stretching, foam roll, and then do the one simple test on their stomach, we'd cut a lot of this out um, that, um, you know, we'd be back to more of the uh, injuries with, you know, when you land on somebody's ankle or when you, um, you know, you take a hard charge and you fall, whatever it may be, but not this overuse stuff that we mm-hmm. deal with a lot of times. So, Alan, would you, would you agree with this statement? You know, going bringing it back to the article right now, I, I think – you know, I, a lot in the article I agree with. I, I don't agree that like specialization is necessarily bad. I, I, I would asterisk that with like specialization when done wrong can yes. can be bad. And I, I think you, you might agree with that based on this conversation. So I think that leads us to a place of like specialization when done the right way is okay. Um, which is like, how do we get people to do it the right way? And you've talked a lot about educating parents and players, and that's one thing we try to do from uh, from a basketball standpoint as well. But from a, a conditioning, strength, speed, athleticism development standpoint, what are some of the roadblocks to, to educating um, the masses? I mean, I guess would you say, because it seems like all the things that you're talking about, there's a way to specialize and, you know, dedicate your time to basketball on a year-round basis if you have a program that that includes some rest but but includes the training done the right way limiting how much you play um how do you get how how do we educate parents and players on that and what are some of the roadblocks that you've run into as you try to educate parents and players yeah so you're asking me about the the roadblocks we have currently yes like when when you're talking with parents and, and and players about these things um, it's obviously the, you know, your knowledge is, is very vast. So there's a lot that goes into it. Um, but, but I, I, I guess I'm trying to lead you in this, in this question a little bit is that I think when you, there's a problem when you try to say like, Hey, you need to incorporate some time off. Well, it, well, they're looking at it from like, well, if I want to compete with this guy, he's not taking time off. Right, um, right. You know, and, and when you tell a parent like, "Hey, you need to take some time off, or you need to do these stretches," and they're like, "No, I just want to, I just want to focus on jumping." Um, how do you guys, as a company, how do you, as an individual, try to get your message across to parents? And what are some of the things that you've seen that when you try to get this message across, it, you're, you're not getting through? Well, why do you think you're not getting through sometimes? Yeah, 
I think it, I mean, at the end of the day, I think it comes down, there's a gap um, between, and this is not a negative on anybody, So, but mm-hmm. there's always a gap between a coach being far superior in sports knowledge um, and having a little understanding sometimes of, of proper weight training and things like that. And then there's a gap between, um, say, a strength coach or therapist or whatever and thinking that um, they're always doing too much. And so people, athletes assume that when you say rest, that means you you rest, which means rest to most people means, okay, I'm, I'm sleeping or something, right? I'm not doing anything. Mm-hmm. All right, when we talk about that, um, and that's the biggest roadblock. No one wants to rest. But when we talk to the parents about what are the things that are going to help their performance, right? do we think if they could be stronger, um, that would help. Most people say yes. Do we think if they could be more flexible, and we talk about flexible not just to stretch, but the fact that the longer I can, uh, the longer my muscle unit can be, the more force I can I can generate. You know, so if we have kids, and I have kids in the clinic, I'll say, all right, I want you to drop down um, an inch, all right, and jump as high as you can. Then I want you to drop down six inches, jump as high as you can. Well, clearly we're putting the muscle on stretch, and so the more that we can put the muscle on stretch to a certain point then we can generate more power. So the reason why you stretch is because we can generate more power. So then we tie in their performance to their the reason why they're doing something, right? So, but there's the roadblock really is that educational piece. Um, there's nothing sexy about stretching. But when we tie it into their performance, more people are willing to do that. And then the next step is, all right, coaches have to buy into that principle and say, okay, for five minutes, 10 minutes, or whatever, as a team, we can kind of go through some of this um, as a team, and then they can they can do that. Um, but the, the, what's evolving, though, is the sports science piece. We know more about recovery. We know more about sleep. We know more about nutrition and those things. So what we've been able to do that has helped make some inroads into this is that every athlete, no matter what sport you play, there's always a skill component, and the skill component trumps everything. Right? I can run really fast and jump really high, but if I can't put the if, if I can't put the ball in the in the basket, then I'm not going to be as highly recruited. So they have to have the skill level. But at a certain point, how how much do I have to jump? How much do I have to shoot before it becomes detrimental? And so an athlete just thinks the more they do. Right? And so if I um, you know, if I score 20 points a game and I put in 20 hours a week at the gym, well, if I put in 30 hours a week in the gym, I'd score 30 points. If I put in 40 hours a week, I'd score 40 points. The more they do, they feel the better. At a certain point, though, what happens is that there's other buckets they have to get better in. So for young athletes, they better have their academic bucket in order. They better have their nutrition, uh, be better at nutrition, be better at sleep, be better at recovery, be better at game knowledge, you know, be better at getting separation from their defender. All of those things they can work on when we talk about rest, they could be working on all those things and get better. And so what we counsel our athletes on is that you'll have a couple of A's in your athletic uh, uh, skill set, if you will. And that may be your skill, and that may be, you know, say vertical, all right? But, but also you don't want to have any F's, all right? So that may be sleep or recovery or diet. Or, or stress level at game time or something like that. And so if I take an A and I take an F, I end up with a C. So we try to get, we try to identify all our Fs, if we have any, and we try to get them to C. 
right? Because then I take an A and a C and I have what? A B, right? And so I can elevate. If we can get all the, the ones that aren't as good, at the same time, what we're doing, though, is we're working on their performance and we're making them better, but we're allowing some downtime, is, and that's really what they need. Because at the end of the day, they got to learn to take care of themselves um, and not rely on the coaches or whatever because the coaches are relying on the trainer, and the trainer may or may not be working with you until you're injured. You know, And I think that's the key is that some of these kids don't ever see a trainer until – they can't play, and they just need to be a little more proactive, uh, even if it's a simple thing as ice at the end of the day. So, our, you know, to summarize, I would say our roadblock is just the education, because I've never had a parent, when I explained it like I just did, they went, oh, yeah, I don't want to do that. Right? <laughs> they get it, right? You know, but they never have kind of processes enough. But when you're a professional athlete, you know, once you've got, you know, I, I guarantee you they're not working with Zion on him getting stronger or him getting jumping higher, right? And so they're going to work on everything else. And this year is going to be a lot of game knowledge and things like that. And so that's what the younger athletes should be working on. In addition, obviously, you got to get their skill, but they would just be better. You know, and then last thing is the selling point is I just had this conversation yesterday at, the, at our training center is that as a soccer player, all right, kid plays – his mom was saying, yeah, he's got a hip issue, but he plays three hours in the morning. He goes out with his buddies and plays three hours a night. I'm thinking, I'm worried about him doing too much. And I actually like that. If I'm not forcing the kid, if I'm not telling him to go play and he's doing it on his own, I wouldn't want to take that away from the kid. Um, and so we had that exact conversation. Is that, look, but here's the deal. Here's why you're doing these stretches and this. When you go to a tournament, all right, you're going to play multiple games all right, in a short period of time. So – the coaches are going to come recruit you at various games, but they really want to see the championship game because that's when, in theory, you're playing against the best competition. Mm-hmm. And so how do you, how are you the best physically on the third day? Right? Because you only have to be better than the guy on the third day. You might be worse than him on the first day, but you're not playing against him. But on the, on the big scheme of things in the, in, the, in the championship game, if you are flexible and you ate better and you slept better and your anxiety level is better – you're going to be probably better than him that day and so and certainly have recovered better and be able to produce or have more stamina those things are just things people don't talk enough about mm-hmm. and if we focus more on those we would accomplish a little bit more but that gets into the sports science and things like that so it's yeah. just a matter of education that uh you know sometimes coaches um you know you guys do a phenomenal job really of trying to bring people in to educate, keeping sports relative that, you know, the, the virtue of playing sports and learning and being a teammate and cheering for others and having some failure and having success is all part of life. You know, um, sometimes coaches just want you to play, 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 and um, there's other ways to get better in addition to play, play, play. Yeah, and that leads me to my next thing, and I, I kind of want to talk this out with you, Alan, and see if you can help me, like, determine if I'm thinking about this right. You know, one thing in the article, it talks about playing. These high-level players are just playing way too much. And um, they said USA Basketball and and the NBA, Junior NBA, they're coming out with guidelines. And um, one thing, I I sort of, when I think about it, think that that guidelines aren't really addressing the problem. Um, It makes me hesitant. I would be hesitant to apply guidelines to anybody because a guideline sort of implies that everybody is the same, you know? So when like, at what point, you know, would you say like, Hey, if maybe playing, maybe playing 
you know, every single weekend, which I, I don't think is good for anybody, but let's say like, hey, playing two weekends a month or playing three games in a day is too much for player A, but maybe player B is doing all the things, has been educated on all the things that we just talked about, and playing three games in a day is not too much for him, but the guidelines limit him to playing. So am I thinking about that right? That like, how can you put a guideline on a standard that that's applies to everybody and treats everybody the same when, you know, if a, it's taken away a kid's advantage, possibly, if they're doing all the things that you're talking about, they're incorporating rest time, they're stretching, they're, you know, um, training the proper movement patterns and flexibility and stuff. I guess at what point yeah. do you say, like, um, hey, if I'm a parent, how can a parent recognize if their child is playing too much? At what point can a parent say, like, hey, this is too much for him. I recognize he's getting burned out. What are some of the things parents can look for in that situation? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that, um, I mean, always, this sounds harsh to say, but always guidelines, rules, laws, whatever, are, um, you know, put in place to protect the people that can't protect themselves, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and um, uh, and it, because of that, uh, you know, you, you can hinder other people. Mm-hmm. But, um, but from a parent standpoint, I always tell the parents is that if I see, um, you know, a kid who's limping, um, I want to see how they how they are when the ball is around. So if there's a loose ball, all right, and they're kind of limping to go toward you know go towards the ball, or they're hesitant to go to the ball, they they shouldn't be playing. If they look fine, and in the heat of the moment, you can't really tell. Let's say they get the basketball, and we see it all the time, right? So somebody limps on down the court, and they get the ball, and they look 100, percent all right, they're okay to play. If they're limping with in live action, when they have the ball or they're going for the ball, that's just physically they cannot do it, and they should should never be playing at that point. It should just be pulled out. Um, I think that, uh, uh, you know, if they're – it's normal to go to the tournament and be stiff and be sore, and, you know, it kind of is a little for, – for, I don't speak on the male component. It's normal for, for males to kind of complain, you know, how sore they are and things like that, and the rest of the team kind of chimes in about how sore they are, and it's kind of one of those badges of courage, right? Everybody needs to be a little sore, mm-hmm. but they're not working hard enough. But I think at the end of the day, if they don't move efficiently, if they don't look like themselves when they have the ball uh, or they're playing defense or whatever, they shouldn't be in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's, if it's, they're walking up the court and they're limping, I don't usually worry too much about that because it, because they are sore, but, you know, it, it, that's a that's one of those age-old questions. Is it sore or is it injured? If it's injured, you're injured no matter what. If it's sore, you can suck it up and play, um, and you look normal. You just, uh, you know, you're sore after the game. But that's usually a rule of thumb. And so um, we certainly have different strength tests. And, you know, can you hop on one leg equal to the other side? Could you go baseline to the top of the key, hopping on one foot? Uh, repetitive is that equal side to side um, if not then yeah it probably means that um, either you have limited minutes or you're not ready to play um, and I think always is for the coach and for the player to decide all right if I've got you know three tournaments in a row coming up all right and, and I need to prioritize which you know what do I need to do you know so a lot of times we'll have athletes that if they miss they'll have a week off they got three tournaments coming up and uh, they're not really ready to go, um, but they but you know they want to play. If they miss that first tournament, right, then that gives them two weeks, and they're usually pretty okay for the second, and third weeks. If they want to really want to play, and 100 percent or 90 percent, and they play the first week, and they flare themselves up, 
now they're in jeopardy of missing the next two, right? And mm-hmm. usually it kind of builds as the season goes on. So then it's been just, again, being reflective on what's best, knowing at the end of the day, and you can speak to this as a, as a former player and a coach and, you know, and, and kind of being in the you know, recruiting aspect of, you know, who's good and who's, who's not as good. It's like um, if they're good, you know, they can go to tournament and they'll be fine. They don't have to play every weekend to show everybody how good they are. Mm-hmm. You know, play, coaches travel all the time and word gets out. And we counsel parents all the time is that if, if you're not 100% or 90%, if you can't do what you normally do, it's better not to be seen sometimes, um, especially if you're playing all these tournaments. Um, and so you miss one tournament, but you're still going to the other two or three, it's okay. You know, um, coaches will find you, and if, if a coach is disappointed they didn't see you at one and doesn't doesn't want to recruit you because of that, then that's probably not the place you need to go play college ball anyway. Yeah, yeah. And that, I mean, that brings up a good point. I mean, speaking just from my personal experience, I, mean, I, I did have an ACL tear when I was – a professional playing overseas, and when I look back at it, I, I believe it happened because you know I was in Poland, and and we had this old school coach who was we just ran he ran us into the ground for a month. After a month and a half, I was in the game, and I and I you know tore my ACL. It, but the 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 qu- quantity of work that we did in Poland was not different than what I had done my previous years. It was only that the the quality that we had done. So yeah. in, in, in my, in my mind, my, my, why I'm, you know, hesitant to fully dive in and agree with this article is because it's, you know, I think they're, they're talking about, they're making this article all about the, the quantity that these kids are doing. They're doing way too much. They're doing way too much. I think they need to look at it from like, they're looking at the quality of the stuff that these kids are doing. If they're, if they're not, training in the right way they're not getting the flexibility they're not educating themselves on the 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 right way to do things then yes they're going to lead to an injury but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's because they're doing too much i think it's because they're not doing it the right way yeah i totally agree i think i think your point's well taken they're doing too many things the wrong way yes Uh (laughs) and so uh and you're right. I mean, most articles, most scholars, most professors, where we'll talk about when should someone specialize, and most people will will somewhat agree for the majority of sports, other than maybe gymnastics or whatever. But by the time you're in high school, you're in ninth grade, you can start specializing, okay? And so, but it doesn't mean that you can just play one sport year round and you don't do anything else, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of implied. But again, it's you know the article people. You know, people read articles to either support their opinion or refute it, one or the other. But you're right. It's always, um, if you look at total numbers, this is what I tell parents. You know, if I look at soccer, I look at, you know, baseball is notorious for playing year-round and having all these arm injuries. Even if I look at the arm injuries of pitchers, and we say 30% of these kids, you know, uh, have elbow issues. All right, that means 70% or not. You know, and so sometimes we get hooked on, trying to figure out what to do for the 30%, we need to figure out what the 70% are doing uh, to avoid the injury, right? And so so the kids that play year-round, of all these players, so even at this, this tournament or this, you know, the interviews the guy did, the majority of people still stay healthy, right? So what are they doing that's a little different than the kids that got hurt? Therein mm-hmm. lies the question, right? So yep. we kind of throw the baby out of the bathwater is that we assume because we're seeing more injuries – um, that we must be doing something wrong, right? Which I would, I could agree with that. However, if the majority of people are not getting injured, 
then what's the difference? It's not because they're, because by the example, they're all going through the same volume, you know? So, okay, so it's not a volume issue. Well, no, you just told me it was year-round. Well, no, then it can't be year-round. Mm-hmm. It must be the, the quality um, of what they're doing because you just fix that one variable, meaning the quantity. And so none of that discussion. So when you, when the, you know, people that read this that are kind of in the know, like yourself, you look at it and go, yeah, I mean, I kind of see some of these things, but it's not as simple as saying these things, you know? And so, um, I mean, we always have athletes that come in that could be a little better in balance. And, um, and here's what I would say if you read the article, um, is that any, almost any athlete I would see, if they've never done single leg balance with head turns or whatever, they're not going to be good at it the first day or the first two seconds you show it to them a good athlete though once you show it to them twice they'll figure it out and they've got it but if i want to be critical i could say hey i could pull in anybody i could pull in cam newton i could pull in kimba i could pull in steph right put them on the bosu let them do balance all right and i could get up there having done that you know every day all right and look better than them the first time all right and so so you have to be careful when someone says oh they don't have good balance uh that, all right, well, is that a one-time issue and then it got better? Or is that, you know, uh, why is that? So it's yeah. a little bit, um, you know, rate or bias almost yeah. um, that the guy can see. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's a, t- it's a tough issue. I, I do agree there, there are more injuries. Um, but I, I, knowing, having worked with parents and worked with young athletes is these things uh, develop very slowly over time. Uh, and it's very simple things that someone can do. What I would say to parents is seek out an athlete trainer if they're with the team first or go to a physical therapist. Most states, you don't need a doctor's referral. You just go right in, see a physical therapist with file insurance like everybody else does. All right. And so because the physician, especially an orthopedist, right? And again, it's not a knock on orthopedist. So if you, if you have issues, send the letters to uh, Logan. Uh, <laughs> the orthopedist is not trained. Right, in conservative care. So I can't do surgery. As much as I've seen surgery through 30 years of practice, all right, I still am not licensed to do surgery. <laughs> and so, but conservative management of anything, I would say I'm an expert at that. The surgeon is a surgeon. So if we go to the doctor, that may not be, always be the best place to start for some of these aches and pains that the kids have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and you know, I agree. And, and Alan, I, I, I know... You have a previous engagement. I think we're running out of time. I think that's a great place to, to, to end it. And um, I think before I let you go, can you know, uh, I want to say thanks again for joining us and, and, and helping us kind of think yeah, through this issue. Topic. And um, before I let you go, can you let people know, um, you know where they can find you, where they can find Architect Sports, and what you guys offer on social media or, or on the Internet? Yeah, I mean, the easiest place is architectsports.com. Uh, Architect is uh, A-R-C-H-I-T-E-C-H, architect with an H, architectsports.com. They list our services. Uh, we're on uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, and uh, it's a combination of what we call athletic performance therapy, which is a blend of sports physical therapy, athletic training, and sports science to uh, mm-hmm. help athletes kind of develop to their fullest potential. Mm-hmm. So it's a, good, it's a great conversation. I mean, you and I, this was not scripted at all. This is just like, hey, let's just uh, have a cup of coffee and talk, yeah. and uh, you know, we, we could talk for two more hours on this yeah, because it's, uh, it's just, it happens. Uh, I mean, I have this conversation every day, so yeah. it's a great topic. 
Well, again, Alan, thanks thanks so much for joining us and, and wish you guys at Architect the best. And again, everybody, thank you for listening. That's uh, Alan Tyson from Architect Sports and Physical Therapy in Charlotte. Uh, Alan, thanks for joining us. Yep, thanks, Logan. Good luck, buddy. Thank you. See ya.